Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. Well, welcome to this edition of Authentic Leadership Podcast. And today I am so excited. From um, the other side of the world, I am interviewing Annette Simmons, who I first read her book called The Story Factor, um, probably about 16 or 17 years ago. And it's about to go in its third edition. So welcome, Annette. Thanks, Gabriel. I um, We were discussing before we first met uh, face-to-face about six years ago when you were in Australia and we caught up for a breakfast in Melbourne um, and we were discussing all things amongst storytelling, how to, how to cook a perfectly poached egg. Well, I'm sure uh, my story does not include my mother having done that for me. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had to learn from other sources and yeah. still not, not, not too expert at it. Uh, now, Story Factor, I often tell people this is one of, besides Story Factor and um, Stephen Denning's um, book and Laurie Silverman's, th- these are the first three books that really got me excited about the power of storytelling and sharing stories in business. So this was written in 2001. So I'm figuring you got involved in story way before that to have written and published. Yeah, yeah. 1998 was really the first time I taught a course on storytelling. Yeah, so tell us how you got into storytelling. And I guess, you know. my, my background was leadership training, and um, we used to run self-awareness workshops. And uh, so leadership training has, has gone through undergone a whole lot of uh, changes, but back in the day, it was the transformational work, and now it's kind of coming back in, which is, is if you're going to become a better leader, um, you need to become more familiar with who you are, and to your uh, uh, point, be more authentic, mm. and basically, the way I look at it is, if people aren't good, if, if somebody's not a good leader, it's, it's because they're, they're, letting some of their personality characteristics get a little out of hand and you never know which ones are the ones that get out of hand. You know, it could be that somebody's too timid and they're not, they're not stepping forward enough, or it could be that they're hyper aggressive and they're, you know, they're blowing everybody's hair back. But when we were teaching, uh, uh, self-awareness workshops, what, what we did is we had people share their stories that was a part of how they were processing, you know, so what's going on for you? What, what keeps happening? Um, and when you start telling the story about what keeps happening, we would actually go back to, and so when was the first time this happened? And I guarantee you can find it happened in grade school, it happened in high school, it happened in college. And so once they begin to look at these stories, what happened is that instead of being inside the story, they're actually having the capacity to look at the story from from the outside, mm. and that's where we learn. Well, um, uh, for me, the 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 term I use is perceptual agility. So yeah. learning comes when you can look at your situation in a new point of view, and then all of a sudden you realize and and hear it again. You know, we humans, these problems are really somebody else's fault. Most of the time when I'm going to come in, you know, and talk to, you know, my leadership development person, I'm going to say, you know, if people would just do what I said, 
And yet it's not until we realize, oh, there is something I could change. And that's where that observer comes, the, the observer position. And so you get outside your story and all of a sudden you can change your story. And it was a very specific thing. And what I loved about the storytelling is that it did not assume that there was a right or a wrong way to do things. Because in, in, with human nature, it's, it's always two sides of the same. Mm. And storytelling allows the both and. You know, we need to be both flexible and consistent. We need to be both, you know, humble and um, uh, find our voice. And so that's one of the things I loved about storytelling. And, and it was, uh, I wasn't really aware explicitly that that's what was happening until I went to the National Storytelling Festival. Mm. And I went to that because I wanted to be a better facilitator because I saw we would tell stories. And of course, that's what then jumpstarts other people's stories and this learning process. And I met Doug Lippman and he became my coach and forever is the, the person who has, has, who I am most grateful to as a mentor in storytelling. And we invited him to come uh, to Greensboro, North Carolina, where we live to do a storytelling performance. And the storytelling performance he did, is a, a performance of the soul of hope, which is a two hour storytelling performance. And it was by realizing that this is an art yeah. that all of a sudden I became much more interested in finding out, uh, you know, how to do it better. Obviously he was a master and he, he was a mentor, but even from that point of view, uh, it began to show how storytelling experiences the best teacher. And so having an experience in the soul of hope, it's a, a story that talks about, you know, having, a, a ritual and an answer about the purpose of the world. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we've lost a little bit of the answer, but we still got the ritual. And then, you know, decades later, we've, we've, we've lost the ritual, but we still can light the candle, mm. you know? And, and so you can know that we have to stick with our stories of resilience. You can say that literally, but it was through his performance that the emotions and the sensory experiences just permeated into, into a way that it was more viscerally relevant and much easier to call upon when you needed it later. So that's, I mean, I could go on, that's but those were that's a couple of the first experiences I had with storytelling. Yeah. I love the fact that you said experience is the best teacher, because I'm sure you know that quote that says experience is the best teacher, but storytelling is the second best. I actually originally said that. Oh, there you go. Oh my God. I've just quoted you. I love it when that was, or at least in my mind I did. Well, yeah, that's all right. That's all we need to do. Well, that's probably where I, I read it. I that Paul Smith put it in his book, but he interviewed me for his book. So I always claim that. I'm going to, I'm going to forever now say as quoted by Annette Simmons, that experience is the best teacher. Storytelling is the second best. Well, and I say story is second best. So storytelling, yeah. you know that. Yeah, story is second best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we know that we, you know, the, the, one of the most powerful ways we teach our children is through stories because we, we want to teach them without them having to have the experience, um, especially in dangerous situations. But um, 
And uh, yeah, so I, I often say that uh, uh, storytelling, you said, is an art as well. So I, I often, a lot of my speaking and work is on teaching people storytelling. And I often say it's an art, the art and science of storytelling, because there's an absolutely some like amazing science and research behind storytelling and how the brain reacts. But it is an art form, isn't it? It is something yeah. that's what I find. You don't learn how to do it. I think sometimes the science can uh, dull our appreciation for the art. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the science, like the the neuroscience, the whole idea that you know you stimulate oxytocin and then then you get a dopaminergic surge when you you know have the, it's like um, that's pretty dry stuff, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, and if you are constructing your you know your your story based on a mad scientist dial of of you know what the dopamine surge is going to be i don't think you're going to be creating as powerful a story as when you invest in asking people to tell you their true stories and yeah. beginning to sense for where that emotional intensity is and when you get a sense for the emotional intensity you really it's hard to to go back and forth in between this you know sort of critical neurotransmitter brain mm. i tend to think that if well my definition of story is a significant emotional experience and so yeah. basically when i teach storytelling i'm i'm asking them not to find a problem and a solution i'm not asking them to find the and but therefore you know those are those are those are accurate um, but what I find is that the, the people who come up with stories when they remember what, what's the most powerful emotional experience that I've had or I've witnessed or that my mentor told me about, then you're going to have a real, really powerful story. And frankly, most of us um, don't need to get to the place of understanding where the oxytocin and the dopamine come into it. No, no. We, I, um, I agree. You don't like, I sort of go, the science is there. We, we know the power that story has on the emotion and our brain and how we connect. You don't need to understand it. Um, but you, and then, and in the training, they feel it. What it would the best, again, going back to this experience, when I do my storytelling training, um, I, when they, people share their stories, they not only experience the emotional connection, but the people in the room experience it. So as a leader, and, 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 they experience the people in the room experiencing it, exactly. which is that that level that once they get that, no going back. You, oh, I know. I um I often have CEOs um, or senior people want to do one-on-one -on -one work with me, and I go, "Can we please just do it with your team? Because I know what the real power is. They, everyone in the room goes, "Wow, that that had a real impact on me. I really connected to that, and they experience the power of it. And you don't need any science to convince you after you've experienced the no, power of that. No, no, it's a difference between you know a lot of uh, storytelling trainers are like they're going to give you all of these facts and it's accurate and at the end of it if you can fill out a multiple choice test about storytelling i don't think you're going to be a great storyteller no. but if you can't stop yourself from asking people to tell you you know stories and 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 looking for a better way to tell your own stories that's the goal yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the, you know, we talk about the art and the science. To me, the art is, you know, getting the basic skill of how to tell a story right and then deciding, you know, what goes in and what goes out and for which audience and is that just quite enough and just let it be and, you know, that's there's some real, you know, art in that, I think, is a great word for it. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So how have, um, you know, I guess you've been in storytelling for, well, probably now decades, 25 years. How have you seen it move? Because storytelling is quite popular at the moment. Um, right. Even getting to the way I hear some people go, it's just a fad. It was like, oh, like, you know, it's not a fad, but it is absolutely getting popular. How have you seen it? Um, I guess the application and the acceptance of storytelling move in the business world? Well, I think, you know, because I was in leadership training before, I had, I had undergone things that did become a fad. And to a certain extent, storytelling, at least the, the form of it, has become a fad. Because I think that any great truth emerges in the community. And when it's in the beginning, it's a, it's a great truth. And it's, it's hard to wrangle. It's, it's, um, it, it evokes a whole lot of passion. I don't know if you remember servant leadership. Yeah. Um, yeah. People real focus not on what, you know, forcing people to do, but, but creating some, and, and what happens over time is that you get a bunch of consultants involved Yes. and yes. we slice and dice it and, and we can turn gold into lead like that. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people have turned storytelling gold into lead. Um, but, but some of the storytelling gold, turned into lead bullets and uh the 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 way that weaponized storytelling has been uh, uh proliferated is of great concern and i wish more people would talk about how storytelling can be used to demonize um and i think that we're at the effect of that those who can choose stories based on the level of outrage uh, that they engender on Facebook and all that sort of stuff have learned how to cause people to feel alone and isolated. Um, because when you're alone and isolated, you buy more stuff. Um, and you also uh, vote uh, in a way that, you know, you're not concerned about collaboration. You're concerned about one winning and one losing. And so that's, that's been my concern about what's happened to storytelling over the last uh, few decades. Yeah. When, when uh, I first, you know, began to introduce storytelling into the different, um, the, you know, I, the six kinds of stories, who I am, why I'm here, I knew for sure that if I ask you to tell me a story about who you are, I didn't have to worry about whether you were going to, uh, exhibit some sort of moral, you know, integrity because we humans, we have a desire to feel good about ourselves. And we have this natural moral sort of orientation to want to illustrate that we aren't just for ourselves, but we are for, um, for others as well. And when those stories, uh, came through, then, uh, you know, those are the, that was the, the stories that you use to teach your children. That's where the wild things, you know, that story is, is like, I don't know, it's like 200 words, maybe less than 300 yeah. words, the whole story. And the whole story is about how you can get what you want. 
you know, yeah, you can go out to the wild things and you can, you can get everything you want and it's really lonely out there. And so these moral stories that were causing us to reframe a, short, a small personal sacrifice in terms of long range goals have been, they're not getting as much airplay um, mm -hmm. when the choices are being made based on return on investment. Stories that return on investment are inevitably returning a short-term investment. Yeah. And moral yeah. stories are really about long-term investment. Um, you talked about that it, it can be used. Uh, to me, storytelling is a really powerful communication and, I guess, influencing technique. Um, or techniques, of, it sounds like it's a not a great word, but it, it does. it can help people really communicate a message and it can help people influence other people, which which why which is why it's a great leadership, um, you know, skill and a thing to learn. But it, but like that, it can be used for good and for evil. So right. you can see it. Um, you probably don't need to go any further than the. Um, I was going to say the American political landscape. Oh, I just want to apologise to all the well, other countries out there. Well, Australia political landscape's not too far away. Yeah. Well, and, and let's just let's just look at that because yeah. what happens is you've got people who are controlling narratives. Yes, exactly. And anybody who's trying to control a narrative is essentially silencing other stories. That's yeah. what that's what it is by definition. Mm. And so when I went into storytelling, it was because I understood that when we have multiple stories, then we're making better, better decisions. Yeah. Um, and now I see a lot of people looking to silence um, all the other stories in favor of one single story. Um, and then we end up with, with what we've got. Absolutely. Well, we won't, we won't spend much time on that because that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I loved your definition that like uh, the storytelling should evoke, like it, it should be about a significant um, emotional experience so that you've got to have some emotion in there. Um, are you noticing what, what I'm noticing in is that storytelling, I think because people are all talking about story and storytelling that everyone's using the word storytelling. And I look at it and think, I don't, I don't think that's a story at all. Um, we see that this in the in technology with data, you know, data points, and we're, we'll turn data into story. And um, I, I just go, but there's no emotional reaction to that. So, it, so my definition. Well, not just. I mean, just what they're talking about is is creating associations. Yeah. Um, and associating a piece of data with with a particular truth and so you're, you're trying to and you can do that by flashing a picture a whole bunch of times you know along with with a with a fact and then and people that but that's not a story a story mm -hmm. has a beginning middle and end and um, stories are visceral uh, I think that the way I look at stories increasingly is that that there is a sensory sort of wisdom uh, that we call intuition, um, and it's not just women who have it, but but there is a, a way of coming to conclusions that is embodied as opposed to being disembodied. And storytelling is, is how we rehearse um, the impacts uh, that certain behaviors have on, on, on people um, and on our long-term future. And when we rehearse that, and it gets into our senses, we're using a different part of a uh, different kind of wisdom 
than logic. Mm. Um, and uh, I think that that we've got uh, well in terms of issues like climate change, um, the sort of visceral wisdom, the moral uh, uh, imperative uh, to try to bring ourselves to make personal sacrifices that will not pay off in our lifetime. Um, there is no business case for that. Yeah. You know, and the only way that we can promote those sort of behaviors will be through storytelling. Yeah. I like the fact that it's, it's a different wisdom to logic. So it's, it's not, it's not dismissing logic and we still need a bit logic and logic provides some certain wisdom, but then storytelling provides another certain wisdom. And, and if we're just relying on one of those, then we're missing out on a, a whole heap of wisdom. Well, and, and I, I'm trying to introduce a conversation about morals in a way where we're not, you know, wagging our fingers at everybody. But for me, the lowest bar definition of moral is, is the emotional urge to put your own personal goals to the side when they uh, are, could damage collective well-being. Mm. And so I see these stories um, as, as the only way that we can associate this long-term uh, benefit of, of some serious personal sacrifices that we're going to have to make if, if we're going to, you know, turn the ship around. Um, and that will not come from, you know, any sort of, uh, uh, the data is just not there. Yeah. You know, we'll be dead for generations before any sort of sacrifices that we make right now will pay off. Yeah. And so if we don't speak to that visceral wisdom, that moral wisdom, um, I'm not sure that we're going to create the sort of behaviors that we're looking to create. Yeah. It's, it's um, one of the things you talk about morals. A lot of the work I do in companies is around values. And to me, it's, you can't communicate values like you can't communicate morals by logic yeah. <laughs> you have to communicate it through stories yeah. and and it's some it's working with the leaders to to share their personal stories about what this yeah. company value means to them personally and it is so much more and it's going to always yeah. include some kind of sacrifice yeah integrity my my you know my question is if integrity hasn't cost you money or time lately, are you sure you still have it? <laughs> because that's the definition of integrity. I mean, yeah. otherwise you're just covering your ass. Yes. Um, and so when we talk about values, um, specifically integrity, um, we're asking leaders to say, what is it that, that, you know, what, how, it's cost you something at some point and that's where you find the emotion because mm. if you can find a story where it would have been easier to do anything but uh you know uh make it faster or more efficient or whatever your values are um uh then then you've got a great story there because yeah. then you've got that contrast which is uh, one of the things that, that I'm beginning to understand is embedded in all great storytelling is you've got to have, um, when, when I work with, with businesses and, and they want to polish up their stories and make them look all, all nice and pretty and, and like we never made any mistakes, it's like, well, then you're never going to tell any interesting stories because yeah. um, it's that contrast where, where we begin to understand what, what really is meaningful to you. Mm. Some of the most powerful leaders um, I have, you know, 
leaders in companies share is is when they've done the wrong thing, when things have gone wrong, when they've been, when they've had a really, they've done something and regretted it. It's, they're, they're the most powerful stories that. Yeah, I mean that's so. I I always say there's four buckets um, for finding a story: is a time you shined. Yeah. So you actually, you made the sacrifice a time you blew it, which is what we're talking about right now, which is always, people love those stories Yeah. and absolutely. they can hear in your voice. You're not going to let it happen again. Yes. You don't have to worry about somebody yeah. saying, oh, well, you know, uh, a mentor, um, or a book or a movie, which, you know, again, that, um, we find where the emotional, the, the emotional punch is. Yeah. I said, so what, tell me a little bit more about the, the book and the movie. So what do you get people to share stories about their favorite book or movie? Or well, um, so, so if a book or a movie has been powerful to you, it was powerful to you for a reason. Yeah. Um, and, um, so one example is, is, uh, um, we had a guy, we were making a bunch of lawyer jokes and, a, and, and a, you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. And so the guy, he chose for his story, he stood up, he said, I decided to become a lawyer um, uh, the summer of my 12th year, because that's when I read the book To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I wanted to become a man, a lawyer like Finch, but I also wanted to become a father like him. Yeah. So that's like, you know, 60 second story yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, so you can let somebody else pay for your special effects. Um, you can let Harper Lee write, you know, the, 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 the real powerful story and then, and then recruit it and uh, slip it in there somewhere. And people, even if you have to retell it a little bit, um, mm -hmm. people will, will uh, respond. Absolutely. So let's move um, Story Factor, third edition. So tell me, tell me what you're doing now and how we've progressed to the third edition. And Well, I mean, the basics are the basics, right? I mean, yep. you yep. know, what we're talking about, experience is a story and, and, and getting people to, to remember that it's the sensory information and about choosing, you know, how to create that emotion by, by adding all that stuff's the same. So yep. I didn't yep. change much of that. Um, I did update it, you know, some, cause nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about with my examples from 20 years ago, <laughs> but I added two new chapters and, um, I added one chapter was basically, I wanted to go through and look at the adv advice that that's out there right now over the last 20 years. Um, people who have turned, you know, uh, created templates and that sort of stuff. And the thing is that we get advice from storytelling, you know, from literature, we get advice from the data scientists, we get advice from, from business consultants, um, from traditional tellers and every source of advice is embedded with its own set of values mm. and its own goals and objectives. And while all of these templates create a variety of ways to approach storytelling, some of them come with, you know, values that, that aren't necessarily what you and I might choose for ourselves, like this whole uh, return on investment. When I look at a story, I'm looking at a long-term return on investment as much as, you know, any kind of short-term return on investment because that's where the moral stories come from. So I thought it would be useful to not go, you know, but, but to also to just say, okay, so look at all these different templates that we, that we have. So I did a review 
um, uh, five or six different approaches to storytelling. And then the last chapter is when I get into this conversation about morals, um, which I figure, you know, I'm old enough. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go there, man. I'm just gonna <laughs> talk about, you know, I'm a big fan of Greta Thunberg. I, I, I want to, I want to be in her, on her team. And um, storytelling is the way to get there. And so uh, it felt useful to reacquaint all these people who are interested in storytelling with the fact that evolution invented storytelling. Yeah. Evolution invented storytelling so that we could learn uh, to associate small personal sacrifices with long-term gains. Because if you don't have a story, you don't have enough time for it to pay off. You know, so Aesop's fable, for instance, yeah. um, the mouse or one of his fables, the mouse uh, awakens the lion and the lion wants to eat the mouse because, you know, it's lunch, <laughs> snack. <laughs> and, the, and but instead he's like, oh, I will show kindness. I'll show mercy. And it's like, okay, so and a couple of months go by and then the lion is tied down with ropes by the hunters who are going to kill the lion. And the mouse is like, hey, and the lion's like, come here, man. And so he, the mouse gnaws the, the, the ropes and the lion goes free. Well, if you don't have that time frame where it pays off, then we stop uh, remembering that these small kindnesses are not actually inefficient. Because by algorithm uh, logic, uh, to if you are wasting your food resources, you're not being efficient. Yeah. You know? um, and so I'm hoping that we can balance out some of the lessons that we're teaching ourselves uh, to think more about the long term. Excellent. Well, I am very interested in those additional two chapters, especially the one exploring all the different uh, approaches to storytelling because it's it's something that I've sort of become interested in myself um, around the definition of story because I'm seeing so many variations of story um, and, and you're right I don't want to sit there and go that's wrong I'm right um, right because they're, they're different purposes they're different um, reasons and applications for it so I, I think my my interest comes from if you want it for this application then this is sort of the approach you should take not not this approach or vice versa or whatever whatever it is so when's it when's it due out Annette when, uh, when tomorrow, tomorrow tomorrow October 8th yeah. Tomorrow. Well, 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 just, just backtracking. We're recording this, this on the uh, 7th of October. So by the time this goes live, we'll probably be a few weeks. So, so it's already out. <laughs> it's already out. It's Gosh, already. it's been a great couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bestseller, bestseller already it's hit number one on the New York. Can we just like forward think this? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's that must be terribly exciting for you. And I assume people can just order it on all the normal channels. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on Amazon, when you go to it, you end up getting the second edition. They must still have some copies of that. But okay. um, you'll see that there's a newer edition available. So if you want those two new chapters, then you need to order. You've the got third to wait. Edition. You've got to yeah. If you want, so yeah, that's a good point. If you want the two new chapters, make sure you're ordering the third edition. Right. And if I had a copy of it right here, which I should, it, I would show you and it's got little balloons on it. So it looks, it's a completely different uh, uh, cover. 
Okay, so look for the balloons. Hey, um, it's been lovely talking to you. I I love to uh, end all my interviews with a few random questions. Yeah. So I'll throw them at you. Um, we, we've already talked about eggs at the start and you've admitted you're still learning that. But um, if you, what is your go-to signature dish that you cook, that you love cooking? Oh, my gosh. I did it just the other night. I do tuna. Uh, fresh tuna seared with uh, sesame seed crust, um, still raw inside, yeah. uh, wasabi mayonnaise served over greens and an Asian dressing. Wow, that is <laughs> that is like sounding good. Might have might have to get a link somewhere to that recipe. <laughs> Well, I, I saw it at a restaurant. It's like, oh, I can do this. I, can oh, do this. I do that all the time. I go to restaurants and you sit there and go, I can make this at home. Not really. Yeah. Well, sometimes. There's not... ingredients involved in that one little bit of sauce they're putting on the, the end. Hey, no, another random question. Who is your favourite 80s artist or song? Well, now, I was living in Australia in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and... I was a big Johnny Farnham fan. Oh, wow. There you yeah. go. So um, what was that song? You're the Something? voice? That's it. <laughs> I, and you know, yes, I love that song. Yeah, yeah You're the Voice is, um, that was his big, massive comeback song because he was like, he was quite big in the 70s and then, and that was his. I wasn't there then. I just, no, I wasn't I there then. Um, and his big comeback uh, album was Whispering Jack and the You're the Voice was yeah. massive. But I don't know if it made it over to America or not. So Americans may not even know what that was. No, no, I don't think Johnny Farnham ever cracked cracked the American market. <laughs> well the song the song surely made it. It's a great song. It's a great About song. Finding it's your like voice it. and you know yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Silent. We might we might put a might put a link to that somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, we might yeah. we might be the uh, the cause of Johnny Farnham's um, comeback career. Although he has he has done about four or five farewell tours, so he's um there's an there's oh, a there's you, a saying in Australia if you keep coming back is like God you've had more comebacks than Johnny Farnham. Really? Yeah, well, that that's a great that's song. Hard. Yeah. Now, final. No, the fi the final question I like to ask is: What advice would you give your twenty year old self? Oh gosh. Oh man, boy, there's a long <laughs> list um, that involves not chasing bad boys. Uh, but I don't know. That all turned out pretty fun anyway. Yeah. So. I think I think I would say you know my dad had had really thought about what he thought I should do for a living, and um, and he had been he just earnestly you know suggesting that being a lawyer was a really good idea and perhaps I should do be an entrepreneur and perhaps I would, so he had he had all of these ideas um, and my advice to myself would be like that's not the only options you have. Mm. It took me a while to, to figure that out. But on the other hand, I'm really grateful that he cared enough. So yeah. um, he, he taught me self-discipline. I just didn't use it to become a lawyer in the end. Yeah, but you used it to become a best-selling author and guru wow. on all things storytelling. It is one of the advice I give. I've got two daughters, 16 and 19, and it's just 
I just say, just, just do what you like doing and your career will take care of itself. Don't just, if you're doing what you love, that's, you know, battle yeah. one or there already. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly proves true for me. Yeah, but you could give the advice about the boys too. I had to. Um, I was asked to write a letter. You've got two girls, and I know. Go ahead, yeah. keep going. Away. Yeah, I I was asked to write a letter to my my twenty year old self. So me as a twenty year old, and um, one of the things I wrote was, "Don't date boys called Andrew." <laughs> You're gonna have. They're all rugby players. They were all rugby players, Andrews. Oh right! Oh no, we didn't have rugby. Yeah. Oh. And this has been so much fun and so great to catch up um, with you after so many years. Have you got any visits to Australia on your tour? I'm quite happy to to, uh, stay off airplanes right now. Um, I am working on another book about women in power. Oh, wow. um, and um, I'm gathering stories, uh, true stories that women tell me about the last time they were powerful. And what I'm finding is that when women tell stories, uh, true stories about being powerful, they're very different than the stories men tell. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's. And so I'm mining into that to just reflect back for women, you know, a lot of the positions that are supposedly giving us power can cause us to feel powerless yep. to do the things we think of that are important. Okay. Uh, and so uh, women's version of power is, is uh, just as valid, but a little different. Mm. More, more in that sensory sort of moral uh, uh, realm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of research saying that women make um, better transformational leaders. And so maybe yeah. that is the, the different style of leadership, which is uh, maybe it's what's needed now. We could, we could use some new leadership. <laughs> we could. Um, when when's that you out or are you still well? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I have a few of those books started I that are, you know plugging away. I've been working on it for fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I call it it's the decade book. It'll be out in in yeah. in one decade, maybe not this one. Like I said, it has been fabulous talking to you. Um, thank you from me. Thank you from being one of the pioneers around story and the power of story. Because, well, like I said, it's carrying, carrying the torch. Yeah, yeah. it, it um, absolutely got me excited. Best of luck introducing storytelling to all those people that I know that you'll be um, uh, reaching. The, yeah. the big clients we can't talk about. Yeah, the big, exactly, exactly. All right. Thank you, Annette, and um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Had a blast. Thanks. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership Series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.